Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise for your abundant blessings that we have received this past week in camp, for the many joyful experiences, for your promise you will never leave us nor forsake us, and that your word has found place in the hearts of many that listen to it. And now, Father, we pray that it will do the same this morning as we gather around your word, which is living and abiding forever. Bless your servant as he would convey the word. May it not be his words and his thoughts, but the mind of Christ. And open the hearts of each and every one of us to receive it in meekness mingled with faith. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Dear ones, for this morning's meditation, I'd like to sort of stay on the theme of the verses that were expounded upon at camp, mainly Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower. The gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower. Beginning to read at verse 1. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, and because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing not, Seeing, see not, and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower, when any one 
heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not. Then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. And he that received the seed in stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth, because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. But he that received seed in the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, and <clears throat> which, is, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. I've read up to and including verse 23. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's bow down and worship the Lord together. Truly, O Lord, we are so blessed that we can receive this seed, this life-giving seed that can produce fruit and, and transform from barrenness to to plenty and beauty and peace and joy and salvation and and to also be a vessel to to allow these blessings to cascade to others also father we thank you for this morning that we had the opportunity to examine our hearts acre lord we pray for sincerity that we can see the stones, the unbelief, the unyieldedness, the things that creep in and compete for our attention, our energy, our emotions, our time, our resources. That we can, Father, realize this is not a This is about life and death, spiritual life and death. And we cannot take lightly that we need to beware of having become desensitized to thy word, that it cannot penetrate and convict, and that we cannot experience your healing. So, Lord, this morning we pray for humility and brokenness that we can be changed and healed. Speak powerfully through thy servant, Lord, not only in this place, but throughout this world where we see increasing darkness and fear and chaos and the fig tree is so ripe. Lord, we have heard this morning that our brethren are in much trouble and Ukraine, and we want to pray specifically for them. Lord, that you would protect them, encourage them, that they would find strength in you, and that they would, in this dark time, shine brighter still 
and that others could see there is a hope that lies beyond this life and the thorny cares that it provides. Lord, we pray for those who have seen this and are responding. Lord, that they would not be like those by the wayside, that they would not be like those with a stony ground, and that that there would be a depth, that the roots would penetrate and they would survive the testing that is coming, that our enemy will certainly be sifting. We want to pray for them, even as our Lord did, that they would be able to endure that testing and find a deep root that would provide sustenance through a relationship, through the word and through the reality of thy spirit. Father, we want to pray for Josh and Shelley who have decided to follow the leading of that spirit and to go away from the support and blessings they have and to go where you are leading them. Father, we pray that you would go with them and you would guide their steps, protect them, and bless their efforts that it could bear fruit to your glory. Lord, we pray that we could be a church that would bear fruit and not just a minimal amount, but Lord, that we could glorify you by the yieldedness that we have that allows you to work through us, that, that there wouldn't be a restraint, that the fear of men and the deceitfulness and the cares and all that Satan is using to choke us could, could be dealt with not superficially, not just ripping up the part that appears, but could be pulled out at the root and that we could be truly turned over and completely broken and completely transformed. Father, we pray this for your glory. Lord, you see the hunger, you see the need, you see the the pain, and you desire to heal. Lord, we pray that we would yield ourselves to that healing touch. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We gather around this morning as we do every time we gather together, hopefully, to listen to the Word of God. We gather together to be reminded of who we are, who God is. What is our calling? What is our purpose on this earth? We don't gather together to listen to different people's opinions, to listen to different people's um, experiences as how they think things should go based upon how I experience things. But we gather together to hear what God has to say 
to every one of us individually. When we do that, we are very on, on safe ground, if I can use that term. When we say, this is what the Lord says. When Moses was opposed by the people of Israel, he said to them, why do you chide with me? Why do you have any arguments with me? I'm only telling you what God told me. Why do you tempt the Lord? And so we are on very safe ground, very secure ground when we reason from the word of God. What we have here is Jesus speaking to the Jews. A crowd had gathered, as we had read in the introductory verses, by the shore. And after Jesus had given the uh, parable of the sower of the four different grounds, he was approached by the disciples and said, Why do you speak unto them in parables? But he was, Jesus' response was, I speak to you as well, not just to them. And he says, unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance, but whosoever hath not from him that he shall from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Now, Jesus was not necessarily saying here that I have deliberately kept things away from people in general. I believe the context of what he was saying was that he came unto his own. He specifically said to that one woman, I have not come but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he came unto his own. He was born in a Jewish family. Jesus was, in, by physical descent, if you will, born into this world through, through Mary, but of the Holy Spirit. And he came unto his own people, the Jews, and his own received him not. And in that context, because I had already rejected him, many had already disbelieved him, many were still seeking to, to find ways to disprove him, he said, unto them it is not given. And he said, listen very carefully, but so, whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that he hath. So Jesus says that the Jews did have. Uh, Paul in the, in, the, in the epistle to the Romans says, to what advantage then is the Jew? Why, it, why does he have an advantage over the, the heathen, the Gentiles? He said that chiefly that to them was delivered the oracles of God, the law of God. And because to them was given the law of God, they have become more accountable. In the previous chapter in Romans 2, he says, so then they are without excuse. They've been given the word, and they've still rejected it. 
And so God, in his, in his sovereignty, said, because you have rejected it, I will confirm you in your blindness. I will only affirm and confirm what you already have done to me. You have rejected me. And he, he makes it very clear in the four parables that God makes us accountable for what we hear. He makes us accountable. But there are times where, as you can read in, 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 in the book of Romans chapter 9, you read in the book of Romans chapter 1, where God responds in a way that he hardens people because they have already rejected him. And in doing so, in doing so, it's not for their eternal destruction. But through this hardening, it says God was long-suffering towards them when they were already fitted to destruction because of their rejection. God was long-suffering towards them. Let me just read that um, in Romans chapter 9. He says, Romans 9.22, What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known... He could have done it. He could have destroyed them. He could have cut them off. What if instead he endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had before prepared unto glory, even us, whom he had called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So God in his wisdom in his mercy, in his justice, in his grace, all mixed together, uses these uh, uh, events and these uh, states of hardening to prolong his, or to extend his, his judgment, to still let them come back. If peradventure through events, through cataclysms, through trials through tribulation, they will finally see that it is the God of heaven, as Nebuchadnezzar saw, that rules also in the kingdom of men. So, in response to their own hardening, Jesus says, Whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. So God is expecting that which we have, that little light that we have, that little understanding that we have, that we follow through with it. Why wasn't it not written here that some of the Jews came to Jesus afterwards and asked him to expand, expound on that parable? Tell me more of what you said. I didn't quite understand it. What do you mean by that? The disciples came. They didn't know. And they ex Jesus then expounded to them what it was. So when we are, are given something from the word of God, something that sounds profound, something that has a ring of truth, God expects us to follow up on that. Say, what does that mean? In chapter 7 of this very gospel, he says, Seek 
and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Ask, and it shall be given you. So what you have is that spark that leads to the next light, to a greater light. And that spark, that little seed, the grain of a mustard seed, that faith that we have grows. There's another parable, if I'm not mistaken, if it's not even in this very chapter. It says that little faith as a a grain of mustard seed, a very small seed, grows. And how does it grow? Romans chapter 10. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God makes us accountable for pursuing the truth that he has already given us. Jesus is that light that lights every man that comes into the world. So he says to them, for this people's heart is wax gross. So you see what he just said? I'm speaking to them in parables. Why? Because their heart has grown gross and their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes they have closed. The responsibility is on the individual. My dear friend outside of Christ, the responsibility is on you. It's on me. What we do with that seed. They have closed their eyes they have shut their eyes, they have stopped their ears, and, and that they should understand with their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. God wants to heal them. God wants to heal you. God wants to change you. But you are resisting. There are those that teach that God's grace is irresistible. I think we have proof enough in Scripture, and I think you have proof enough in your own life if you have not come to that place where you've completely surrendered your heart to God that you have been resisting the prodding of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because there's too much to give up. There's too much to give up because you love darkness more than you love light. This is what some of these were doing. They loved their own comfortable place in this world. It says here that he wants to heal them, that I should heal them. At the very end of the book of of chapter 10 of Romans, after going through this whole um, uh, description of how God wants Israel to be saved, how Paul was pleading for Israel to be saved. In his prayers, he said, all day long, this is God pictured as a shepherd, all day long I have stretched forth my hands, pleading unto this gainsaying and disobedient people, a God that wants them to be saved, but ye would not, he's, Jesus tells them in, in the same book of Matthew. How oft would I have gathered you together as a hand would gather her chicks under her wings and ye would not. 
So God makes man accountable for what he hears. And no, you can't do it on your own. You don't have the power to do it on your own. But God gives you enough light. God gives you enough grace to take that next step. And please, do not believe what is going on out in the evangelical world where they say you have no choice. It's only God when he regenerates you that you can do anything about your salvation. There is no such thing specified explicitly in the Bible. There is a cooperation with God. God gives his grace. You don't initiate salvation. God gives his grace. God gives his love towards you. He, he shows you how much he loves you. He shows you how much you, he wants you to come. But he's not going to force you. He's not going to make it against your will in any way. But he says, come see that the Lord is good. Let me just drive that home a little bit more. Uh, These verses in Romans mean so much more when you discuss some of these things with those that would try to tell you otherwise. It says in Romans 1, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed, verse 17, Revealed from faith to faith. So he's speaking of a progression here. You know, there's no, it doesn't, there's no indication that there's all of a sudden you were disbelieving, unbelieving, and all of a sudden you've got this full revelation and you believe. There, there, there are instances where this is, uh, such as the Philippian jailer, when this, the earthquake occurred and so forth. The, the, the apostle Paul was on the road to Damascus when he believed. But he, he knew God even before that. He, he believed in the God of Israel. He believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he thought that he was doing God a service by, by killing the, the, the Christians and putting them in jail. But when he was confronted with the person that he was persecuting, his faith was now placed on another object, and that was Jesus Christ. And then in Romans 1.17 it says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and against all unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, who suppress the truth. They know it's the truth. They press it down. They hold it down. They repress it. They don't want to see it. Why? It makes them accountable. They push it away. The more you know, the more you will be judged. Jesus himself said, For they that knew the will of the Father and didn't do it shall be beaten with many stripes. They that didn't know the will of the Father and didn't do it shall be beaten with few stripes. It shows that there is accountability for what you know. So they... They suppress the truth because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, has been shown in them, for God hath showed it unto them. Who's going to argue with that? God showed it to you. You know. That's what Paul said to King Agrippa. You believe King Agrippa? I know you believe. 
I know you believe what I'm saying. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. They are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So what? That they are without excuse. No excuse. Romans 2 says, no excuse. Romans 1 says, no excuse. So he says, blessed are your eyes. Blessed are your eyes, for they see. And then he goes into the four grounds, and he's trying to illustrate to them in which ways the word of God can be received. How you can receive the word of God. And so let's skip to... um, Verse um, 18. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. I'm going to explain it to you, he said. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received the seed by the wayside. By the wayside. Not where it was meant to land in the furrow, but on the side, not going into the surface of the soil, but on the side where it is exposed. And those that have received the seed on the wayside are those that have heard the word. It's in their minds, but it hasn't sunk down below the surface into the ground where the fowl cannot see it where it doesn't become easy prey to the fowl. It hasn't sunk in, if we can use it that way. And you say, well, it's not their fault, the seed laid on the the wayside. But he's making them accountable for that. In other words, a seed came into the mind, it still came into your being. You You still have the ability to think about it but you haven't, you haven't taken it in. And so when you haven't taken it in, you haven't taken ownership of that word. And you haven't thought about it willingly. Or you may even come to church and you're hearing what I'm saying, but you're not listening. Because your mind is somewhere else. Or you may be Resisting it now because you're trying to justify why I sh- it doesn't belong to me. There's too many things to give up. So you're rejecting that word. I'm not willing to commit myself. So you're rejecting that word. And it stays on the wayside. And guess what happens? The devil comes. Not the birds from the sky, but the devil, because that's the analogy. He comes, and the, the, the opportunity for that word to have made penetration into your heart has been lost. Someone that takes in the word, which we're going to get to on good ground, allows it to penetrate and 
fall below the surface is not just a superficial thing. It's not just in your mind. Because you can play all kinds of mind games. You can justify, you can rationalize, you can make all kinds of excuses why you don't want to take that word and appropriate it for yourself. So then, guess what? The devil comes. The devil comes, he takes it away. And you've lost that opportunity. But he that received the seed in stony places, the same as he that received the word, and anon with joy he receives it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. Now this word has gone in, but it's in shallow earth. And when he talks about stony places here, he's not necessarily speaking, although it, I could see it could have the same effect. When there's lots of rocks mingled with the earth, guess what? When the sun beats down on it, it heats up the earth and it could kill the, could kill the seed. But he's speaking especially when they talked about stones in those days, when they would stone you know, sinners and so forth according to their law. They didn't use little rocks and pebbles. They were big rocks. And there was a, a bedrock maybe under the soil that was shallow. So when the, the sun pounded down on the stone, it would heat up the earth. It would destroy the seed. Took some time, but it would do it. I can, I can tell you, those, those of you that have a septic tank in your backyard, we do. Um, the soil may be this deep above the septic tank. Guess where the, guess where the grass is all dead? You can see the square where the tank is because the sun hits the concrete it warms up the earth heats it up and kills the seed so when the seed hasn't penetrated deep down he, Jesus is likening that unto when there's any resistance you want to you be a Christian but you're not sure whether you can commit because it's being a Christian is not easy and anywhere the truth is sown, there's going to be opposition. Anywhere. Jesus said, I didn't come to earth to bring peace. I came to earth to bring a sword. For families shall rise up against each other. Brother against brother, mother-in-law against sister, daughter-in-law and so forth, father-in-law against son-in-law. They, they're gonna, there's going to be conflict. Because as soon as you raise the truth among them, there's resistance. Don't make us feel bad because you've decided to take this path in life and now, we look, now you're making us feel bad. What you're saying is not true. Uh, that's what your church says. And, and it goes on and on and there's conflict. There's a division. In the, at the time of Christ, we knew what that meant. When Jesus said, whoever wants to, to, to be my disciple, let him take up his cross. Let him deny himself. You take up your cross, it means be prepared to die for what you believe in. When persecution comes, 
you can go back to the early church. There were so many. When, 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 when Rome had ten uh, emperors in a row and persecution waves came one after the other, after the other, after the other, there were so many that denied Christ. They recanted because they were afraid that, that they would lose their lives. And when the persecution was over, they wanted to come back into the church. And the church has said, now what do we do with these people? You're going to find resistance. And you don't have to live in the 3rd century or the 2nd century AD. You can live today in your school, in your work, and you dare mention Christ, or you dare dare mention that homosexuality is wrong, or you dare even pray in front of other people. Be careful. I'm not saying be careful. Just remember what's going to happen. You're going to get opposed. You will be opposed. Do we feel that way? Do we feel that uh, I better not say anything? People at work are going to make look down on me? And especially for the new convert, or the one that's seeking, are you prepared? Have you counted the cost of discipleship? Are you ready to face persecution for the word? It says, all those that live godly will suffer persecution. He didn't have to wait too much longer, perhaps another year or so, and his disciples, they abandoned Jesus. Peter denied Jesus three times. He swore. Not not an oath. He cussed. He swore. I don't know this man. And wept bitterly afterwards. And then he said, He that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the care of this world... And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Now, perhaps this may be the biggest killer of the seed. Because we live, we don't live in a time of persecution yet, that great a persecution, that... um, open a persecution but we do live in open luxury comfort lures temptations from this world if i were to ask a question this this morning how many of us spend time in the word i wonder how many one hour let's say one hour a week how many would put their hand up i don't i'm not going to do that i'm going to leave you to answer that question If I were to ask that question, how many of us spend one hour a week? Is it 168 hours a week? One hour, under, was it maybe under 2% of your time? Who could raise their hand? Who could say, yes, I do? But it's the word through which faith grows. The word feeds faith. Remember that. The word feeds faith. Now ask the other question. 
how many of us spend time in other things that don't feed faith, that feed our senses, that feed our appetites, that make us lax in kingdom living, whether it's the internet, whether it's Facebook, whether it's music, whether it's television, all that chokes what you already have. It chokes, it suffocates. And Romans 8.13 says, if we live after the flesh, we will die. If we live after the because that's what that is really doing, isn't it? When we, when we exclude God, when we exclude the word, we're really living, what? Are we not living after the flesh? When we pursue these other things, what caters to our fleshly taste buds? And it says, if we live after the flesh, we will die. See, these three, four parables have nothing to do, well, have little to do with the seed. The seed is common. The seed is the same for all four grounds. What it has to do with is the preparation for the seed, the ground of our hearts. Is the heart prepared to receive the seed? There is no question that the power of God is in the seed. That doesn't change. The word of God does not change. It lives and abides forever, Peter says. That doesn't change. The power of God unto salvation is the word of God. But we can either allow it or disallow it. Yes, we can resist the Holy Spirit. We can resist the grace of God. You tell me any, any um, serious athlete how he trains himself when he knows what's good for his body, when he knows what he needs to win the prize. His diet, his exercise, his rest. He won't do anything for his physical body, at least the real serious ones, that will in any way take off 0.1 seconds or 0.5 seconds from his run. Because it could be a matter of a victory or a loss. So when we allow these things to come into our lives, whether we don't follow what we already heard, whether we do not dig out the stones in our lives, do not remove the stones from the stony ground, or whether we allow things in our lives to suffocate us, we can't blame God for that. God has given us the seed. We have to ensure that the ground is ready to receive it. And so we come to the fourth part of this, these parables. But he that received the seed in the good ground 
is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, who also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirtyfold. So what's the difference? Not the seed, the ground. We receive in our hearts the word of God. Do we receive it as the apostle says? Do we receive it in meekness? Do we receive it in meekness? In other words, the way I picture meekness here is saying, you know, I know it's going to condemn me. I know it's going to condemn some of my actions. I know it's going to, the truth is going to be hard to accept. I know it's going to, going to make me cut off things from my life. As Jesus said, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. It's going to be hurtful. It's going to be painful. But I'm going to receive it. I'm willing to accept the pain. Because afterwards, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness. And you'll be glad that you submitted yourself to the word of God. After you've been eating all this junk food and you get onto wholesome nutrition and you feel a whole lot better, you feel much more healthy, you're stronger, you can go the distance, you have endurance, you have stamina, you have discipline, you don't want to go back to those comfort foods anymore. They become, if you're really in tune, they become obnoxious to you. You don't, you cringe. But the devil wants to make you believe that whatever tastes good is good. The gospel, it says, is a savor of life unto life unto some and a savor of death unto death unto others. Why? Because they know those that it's a savor of life unto some. They know it's for their spiritual well-being. It's something wholesome. It's something from God. It's something that's holy. It's something that will give them life eternal. And those that it's a savor of death, it's condemning. They don't want to hear it. You're exposing my fun. You're, you're getting rid of my worldly joy. I don't want to hear it. And that's what happened with Felix. That's what happened with Agrippa. Come back some other time. Will you be the same? You can walk out the doors of this church, this building today, and you can have the same response by some of these Jews. So not now, not yet. I've got to do things what I've got to do. But don't forget that that could just postpone the inevitable. And the seed that you have been given all this time, every Sunday, Sunday in and Sunday out, and at home, from your parents or siblings, you're just choking it and drowning it and trying to kill it. And you may not respond one day. I just heard this past couple of weeks of a brother who was pleading with his brother. I have a brother too. I don't know where he is. I don't know if he's alive. 
or dead. And every time I was with him, I tried to, in some tactful way, speak to him about the word of God. And the word was, don't preach to me. Don't, don't talk to me about that. The one brother said that his brother died on the streets of Los Angeles. I don't know if my brother is still alive. You may not die on the streets of Los Angeles or Darwin, but you could be dead in your own home. And what a tragedy that would be. When you continue to put off when you continue to say a more convenient day and a more convenient time, push, pushing it away from you, suppressing the truth as the Roman heathens did, is that what you really want? Or will you say, come to my heart, Lord Jesus. I want life and I want it now. May the Lord bless his word to us all in Jesus' name. Hymn number 108, verses 9 and 10. Heavenly Father, we have received the seed again this morning. 
Thy word has been sown in our hearts, and now it is up to each one as to what they would do with that seed. Grant us tender hearts that the seed would find good ground in all of us, that it would put down roots, that it would be able to endure the scorching of tribulation, that it would not be choked by the cares of the world, that the <clears throat> that, that our hearts would not be so hard that they would be like the wayside where the devil would come and remove that seed shortly after it was sown and it would be carried away. But Heavenly Father, help us to have hearts that are turned over where the rocks have been removed, where the weeds have been pulled, where the roots that would come from that sown seed would, would strike deep, would find water to endure. Heavenly Father, help us all to be fruitful for thee, that we would bring forth thirty, sixty, or hundredfold, and that in that day, when thou wouldst say to thy angels, thrust in the sickle, the harvest is now ripe, that we would be found faithful. We pray these things in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 176, two verses. who had an opportunity to, to be at camp, 
I know for me it was it was really necessary. When I look at this verse here, uh, for this people's heart is wax gross or insensitive. Their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. I know that for me, there was so much distraction, pressure, things I needed to do, and things that I had let creep in that choked and, and took time and attention, that I was not sensitive to what the Spirit had to say. And it was so, such a blessing to, to be day after day praying and singing and, and allowing that dirt to, uh, in my heart to finally get aerated, to, to get loosened up and to, to get beyond the surface. We come together here once a week. We hear the word. Is it something we endure and that we go away and we've completed our weekly routine, or do we really let it penetrate? Do we let our heart feel what God is saying to us? Do we, do we allow ourselves to see what God is pointing out in our hearts that is not really comfortable? Do we allow ourselves to hear the still, small voice that says, You need to cut that off. You need to cut off that right hand that is causing you to sin. You need to to dig out that root that is deep of bitterness that's deep in there and that is choking. You need to pull out that hard stone that's been packed down and is preventing you from really having a relationship with the Lord that would sustain you in times of trial. It's going to take more than this one hour a week. It's going to take more than a passive enduring of hearing of God's word. It's going to take digging. I encourage each of us to take the time alone with the Lord and to dig down and to really allow God to complete his work that we would understand, not with our minds, but with our heart, that we should be converted and that Jesus should heal us and make us fruitful. May the Lord bless his word.